0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Now, Exoordinary Mind Facts. Did you know, there's not an animal on planet earth, that nurses its young, more than 3 years? Why do humans continue drinking cow's milk? You need it for calcium, was as much a lie, as diamonds are rare, valuable, and a symbol of love. Seek truth, always, and you'll find there are some very interesting lies we've been told in our lifetime. Don't get angry. Be happy you can now see truth. And teach your children to seek truth with love. And remember this. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. And that was Exo Ordinary Mind Facts. Now, on to this week's Veritas interview. I'm Exo. Good night. Tonight we continue a discussion we started a year and a half ago about the octopus of global control. This conversation is especially important because it also commemorates the events of September 11, 2001. It is now 18 years later. I remember what I was doing that morning, and I'm sure many of you do too. Even though it feels like yesterday, anyone born in that day is now old enough to vote. How much do they believe? Do they believe the official story? Alleged independent organizations claiming to have scientists, engineers, and more, conducting their own investigations. Have their members been duped? Eighteen years to come, to a conclusion? There are many of these organizations out there. Are they really seeking the truth? Or are they controlled opposition to keep the masses looking in the wrong place? Remember what Lenin said, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. This is just one topic of many we'll be discussing tonight. So buckle up. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. Today's special guest is Charlie Robinson, the author of The Octopus of Global Control, a controversial and hilarious book that features the opinions of over 500 experts that expose and explain the century-long plan for world domination by the global elite. He had a front-row seat to the fraud and corruption in the mortgage industry during his 10-year career in Las Vegas real estate. He credits John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. A veteran of this program, as the final piece of the puzzle that helped him to really see how the American government operates. Charlie is an entrepreneur with marketing degree from the University of Southern California and agrees with comedian Bill Hicks that everyone in marketing should kill themselves. Charlie Robinson joins us directly from Denver, Colorado.
0: Hello, Charlie, and welcome back. Hi, Mel. Thanks for having me back. Great to be with you. Always. I I enjoyed our talk last time a lot.
1: I certainly did, too, and that's why I wanted to bring you back, because we only scratch the surface. Your book is just has so much stuff, and, you know, I felt that it was totally, totally incomplete. So this is, can we call it part
0: two? Sure. Let's call it part two. It's funny, because I've got David Icke's book, The Trigger, sitting on my desk right now, and it's 900 pages, and I thought mine was big at 540 and uh so yeah I it's we got to break it we got to break my book down into a couple parts that's for sure there's a lot to unpack but I think it's you know, it's just more and more relevant as the days go by. I, I, I look through it every now and then and, and realize that some of the, some of what we were talking about has never been more important. Uh, The social engineering that's going on, we're, we're, here we are in the anniversary of 9-11, nothing, you know, nothing globally has changed in that respect that people are still, you know, scared about them Muslims. They're all coming to get us, you know, and, and just this, this, culture of fear and, and 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 you know stoked by the media and the government and the military and we always we have to pour more and more of our resources into it even while kids can't go to school because the schools don't have textbooks and things like that it's insanity and I feel like w- one of these days maybe we're all gonna kind of wake up to this to this uh, realization that the the people that are running our world are out of their minds and they are making decisions for us that we had no say in we do not consent to and we're forced to live in this crazy world and I feel like uh, the sooner we all sort of get the message that we have power we we have the ability to stand up and we have the ability to 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 decide that we're not going to comply with unjust laws you know the sooner we realize and take our power back the better off we'll be and I just hope that and I hope that people read my book and 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 it wakes some of them up. You, you talked about John Perkins. I mentioned it in my in the cover of my book. Tremendously influential in in my awakening to the financial uh, component of the frauds. And I feel like if John hadn't written his book, I wouldn't have written mine. And maybe someone will read my book and be inspired to do something, you know, start a radio show or write a book or do a podcast or or make a documentary movie or something along these lines to kind of help get the word out. Because there's so few of us, but God, our voices, they have never been needed as much as they are right now.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And you mentioned David Icke, and you probably know this, uh, well, well, I guess, did he? Did he get to attend Ar- Anarchapulco?
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, oh, he did. Row. I, got, I got a chance to, yeah, he he spoke there. I spoke there. Uh, Ron Paul was, it was great. It was a great event. And yeah, uh, David spoke, did four hours, which is nothing for him. Yeah. He likes to talk. Um, And I had a chance to chat with him a couple of times. We swapped books and and hung out for a little bit. And, you know, it was, you know, to, to a crowd of 3,000 people uh, at Anarchapulco, he's, you know, he was sort of preaching to the choir there, but but what I found that was interesting was one of the guys I watched the uh, presentation with was Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth, and Jason was unfamiliar with David Ike's uh, work. He knew the name, he knew he had been sort of banned from a different, a couple different places, right. and I asked Jason afterwards, "What do you think?" And he said, "I don't know what the." I don't know what the problem is with people trying to ban this guy. He sounded like he was making a whole lot of sense to me. And the things that he was talking about were very logical. There was no discrimination or no hatred or any of that. It just seemed like a guy that was up there talking about the way he sees the world. And 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 I thought that was interesting to to have someone that didn't – wasn't familiar with his work sit through one of those presentations and – and, and, and realize, you know, all the, the, the boogeyman stories about how David Icke is, you know, is out to, you know, he's, he's anti-Semitic or he's this, he's anti this, anti that. This guy who's a Jason Goodman, who's a Jewish guy, he's like, didn't sound anti-Semitic to me, sounded totally like a logical, normal human being. So it was, it was a great event. Uh, I encourage people to go. I'm not sure who's going to be speaking this coming year. I know I am, but I don't know who else, Um, if you want to get out of out of the cold in some parts of the U.S. and go to Mexico the middle of February. There's worse places to be. I mentioned
1: this because of the whole censorship situation that's happening. I know he was censored. He was banned from certain places, banned from countries. And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, and like you, I get email from the time I have subscribers who are Jewish who write to me and say, by the way, I just want to let you know from myself that I don't think you are Anti-Semitic because you discuss these topics. Nor do I think that David Icke and many other people you have on. So there's there's this other part of the like I call it the tribe that just whenever somebody tells the truth that jeopardizes their control system in a way, I think they immediately turn on us. I mean, come on, we know who's behind Google, who's behind YouTube, who's behind Facebook. Who's behind Twitter? We know who's behind it, and they don't want people like you and I or David Icke or the rest of them. And I remember years ago, Jordan Maxwell, you know who Jordan Maxwell is? Of course. He yeah. told me the moment people, when people hear you, the powers that want to be don't care. But when they listen to you, that's when things get bad. And this is why David Icke and many of the others are suffering the censorship and the and the problems they're going through.
0: Yeah, yeah, as soon as you start making a whole lot of sense like that, then the people that are in positions of power become very uncomfortable with that because they never counted on this uh, public forum in a way in in the way that we've been using it. The social media censorship is a bit of a double-edged sword. So on the one hand it's very annoying for people. I'm in Facebook jail currently right now. This is my fourth time for wow. a post that for for I was put in jail for 30 days for something that I posted in 2017 which is you know it was more than 2 years uh, earlier they just retroactively went through and you know dinged me for that which is kind of a of like a glimpse into the future because people have talked about this uh, social credit system that's rolled out in China Sesame. And talk talk about how scary that is and how, you know, they can go through your, your social media history and ding you and lower your score based on that. Or they can prevent you from getting on a train or prevent you from getting on an airplane, things like that. Um, you know, this is – people have said, well, I, you know, what do I care if someone is monitoring my Facebook page or my Twitter account or whatever? If I don't – you know, if I'm not doing anything wrong, I have nothing to hide. Well, that is – like a looking mentality for people that have been on the reservation for far too long. Like this is a, this is a problem. They can retroactively go back and look at something that you said. And then de- which didn't like, in my case, it didn't violate Facebook's terms in 2017, but now it does. First of all, it wasn't even a hate speech or anything like that. It had to do with it. Just a certain event at a school. Which will remain nameless, but they all they SH?
1: had to do is
0: it, it does have those initials in it. Yes, okay. it does. <laughs> and and it was like a meme, you know. It said, "This is how you destroy evidence," and it showed a bulldozed school there. Uh, and and so they decided in 2019 that that now violates the services. So I get put in Facebook jail for something that happened two years ago when it was totally fine. So think if you just extrapolate that and think about how this sort of um, philosophy could be used to you know impact everything that you do the the in china and the, they have got they've got it down with facial recognition cameras all over the place if you're smoking on a train and smoking is prohibited on a train the facial recognition cameras will pick up who you are tie that to your cell phone account and in China, they don't use cash as much as we do. They do a lot of QR codes for some reason. That's sort of the thing that they do. And you have like a, an account, sort of like a PayPal account, if you think of it like that. With, you know, you've know, you got a, a, a bit of a, a balance in there. If you're smoking on a train, facial recognition notices that it's you. By the time you get off that train and walk down the block, you'll get a notification on your phone that you have been f- fined for that. And they've deducted the fine from your balance of your account. That's happening right now. That's not minority report coming 15 years in the future. The future is right now. And that's happening. And, of course, China's the test market. That is going to be exported to every country. In fact, it's already happening. They've already exported it to to Ecuador. And, um, obviously, they're working on other countries. So, this is, you know, people talk about the social media Censorship and oh, you know, well, don't go on there and call people names if you don't want to get banned. No, it's past that. It's way past that. This is a silencing of dissenting voices for people that have any sort of opposition to whatever the stat- status quo is, whether that is somebody that wants to go on there that's anti war or anti vaccine or anti whatever the current event is of the day, you know. So if you've got an opinion, that messes with that constru- that power structure, then they will silence you however they can, and whether it's arresting you or turning off your social media accounts or eventually fining you, preventing you from from traveling. You know, I've heard recently they're talking about making it so that when you renew your your uh, uh, ticket a visa uh, in certain countries, they will check your social media. Pa- uh, history to see if you were critical of the government in any way. I mean, this is like Orwell would be, you know, impressed with what we have developed here. And the scariest part about it is that we've all willingly walked right into this control system. And it is, uh, myself included. And it is, you know, it's got these great, these it's sold to us as with these great benefits. You get to communicate with your friends and families. And I know I've made reconnected with a lot of people in my life. It's been very beneficial, but boy, there is a dark side to it.
1: Oh, gosh. I'm just listening to everything you're saying and more and more doors open. Now, let me just begin by saying that I don't censor. It, when anybody, whenever somebody like Charlie or anybody that wants to come here says something, I just do not censor at all. But there's one video that I had to remove from Facebook. Well, I'm not Facebook, YouTube. And I did it voluntarily because I was threatened. You're in the last leg of your channel. If you keep talking about uh SH, that school mm-hmm. that was the bulldozed, and you mm-hmm. have one person with the name Wolfgang, and the last name is, is not Amadeus, but everybody mm-hmm. who's who knows who he is knows what I'm talking about. I had to remove that because that's what got Alex Jones where he is today. I think Alex Jones was a guinea pig to what's happening to the rest of us.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And I had... I don't have much of a YouTube channel. I just put some interviews and some some things up up on my on my very very limited YouTube channel, but I did get one video removed and it was an interview I did with Jim Fetzer and that was talking about that particular topic. That's one that that's the third rail apparently. And so what it makes me think is, well, why can't we talk about this? If it's such a non-event, then why the overarching pushback? Why the why the overreaction to to anybody having any sort of uh, contradictory thoughts about that that particular event you know it, except maybe there's more to it right maybe and if there is more to it then what's what's wrong with a with an honest discussion about it well apparently that is just too close you know there's some things that they'll let they'll allow you to discuss <laughs> and there's and there's some topics that that will get you uh alex jonesed <laughs> well
1: Why is this happening? I think this is just my humble opinion because they have underestimated us. Those people behind the scenes are not only psychopaths, but they're the most arrogant beings on this world. And I believe that this is a ticking time bomb. They realize like, you know, these people are smarter than we thought. What happened in SH, they had no idea that people could figure it out. And even me saying this, I know what's going to happen. They're going to demonetize this video on YouTube. They're probably going to want to shut me down once again, but I'm going to say it. You have actors that repeat themselves. If you just do some investigation and you look at the area where SH is and look at all the homes around that area, you'll find out that months before that event happened, those homes were purchased for $1. Now, try to say that in the mainstream media and see what happens to you
0: yeah yeah as a as a real estate agent, I have access to certain um, <laughs> right. title searches. and I've pulled title searches on the houses, and i I can verify that that's exactly what you said. It happened three years earlier, actually, two thousand and nine, Christmas day. And I will tell you right. that on Christmas Day, nothing transacts. nothing officially is counted and registered with the county clerks. It's a holiday. So for one, you would never have transactions closing on those days. You just wouldn't. Nobody's in the office to process it. And and to have transactions for $0 um, happens. That's just more of a sort of a, you know, could be like a trust account or, you know, it's just uh, estate planning. So that's not necessarily all that unusual, except that there was a disproportionate number of houses that were going for $0 on the same day Christmas day in the same city where something diabolical was going set to happen three years later. And yeah, there's, there's, I mean, but if you bring that up and question that then people will say that you're being disrespectful of the victims right. and that you're 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 stoking this fuel you know this hatred and everything it's like well hey well, I'm just asking questions i mean if someone gives me some decent answers then I'll stop ans- asking questions <laughs> but you know and and so it's it's just a it's that's one event you know there's there's others that that we've that we've talked about, I put, you know, I have a a whole chapter in the book on Wolfgang (laughs) and not Amadeus or or (laughs) not, not, you know, so we it's, it's, it's a difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around because initially everybody's, you know, assumption is that that is a bridge too far, right? There's a line. We know that our government is full of psychopathic scumbags and we know that they're up to no good. But there is a line somewhere that they won't cross. Well, I'm I'm of the opinion that there are there's no line that they won't cross. Uh, that that they have they've proven themselves over and over again that human life means nothing to them. Uh, faking events means nothing to them. Uh, you know, selling a, a con- concocting a, a real shooting and and grabbing some medicated teenager patsy and slapping him throwing him in the middle of the situation and blaming it on him i mean this is black belt level conspiracy research right this is not something you drop on a, on a person their first day in school and explain to them about false flags and mass shootings and things like this but um but for those that get you know further into it it become you know you start to understand that this is how things happen and we were talking about um in Arcapulco, i found myself in a awesome conversation till about two o'clock in the morning in the bar with Ole Damagard talking about oh, yeah. Gladio and talking about, uh, Olaf Palmer who's, who was you know, assassinated and to hear Ole's version of it and how things went down. Remarkable. Yet another. That, that's why he's out yet. of Sweden,
1: by the way, that's why he had to leave Sweden. Exactly.
0: Yeah. He had to leave Sweden and he is now, um, you know, safely, hopefully in Spain. And, but to have, that's, people that are thinking about coming to an arcapulco this next year you should go just for the the crazy situations that happen in the in the hotel restaurants and hotel bars after the events where you could sit down and have a drink with david ike or you can i was having dinner and ron paul came and sat right next you oh, know wow. the next table over you know so there's all these these cool things it's like the super bowl of the alternative media you know so go go check it out this year i support you know, part of the reason why i'm You know, enthusiastic about it was because when I got there, I realized these these are my people. You know, these are these are good people. It wasn't all; it was cryptocurrency, health and wellness, and anarchist, anarcho-capital people. And it was just a really fascinating um, mixture of old and young people that were sort of fed up with the way things had been and were interested in changing the world. It was a it was a great event. It's that was I think sixth year of it. This will be the seventh year. So. Um, good time for all if people are interested in mixing a, a vacation with a little bit of education. It's a good, a good place to start. Speaking of all of this, and I keep
1: talking about the time, the, the ticking time bomb. This is just my personal opinion. What happened in SH, what happened in all of these shootings everywhere else. I'm not saying that all of them are orchestrated or faked or false flagged, if you will. But I honestly think that the reason why they're doing this, I mean, look at what happened with the Epstein case recently. I knew when this was really, really getting deeper, it's just a matter of days. There's going to be another shooting. And Eva Ola told me, watch it. It's going to be another shooting. Every time it's a distraction, whether it's true or not. You know, a lot of these kids may be MK MKUltrant. A lot of these Mm -hmm. kids may be coming from foster homes. And, 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 and you know, they just erase them to be that for a specific moment in time in the future. They're very patient. They knew from the 1970s that and in, in the early 80s that the the twin towers were full of asbestos and they were mm-hmm. going to have to for some reason get rid of them. What a great way. And I'm not saying this. I'm just playing devil's advocate. What a great way if you're in control. How do we get rid of it without having to pay a penny? Well, you demolish them or you dustify them, say that there was planes and, you know, terrorist get some insurance policies the day before or whatever, and boom, mm-hmm. what a great multi-billion-dollar enterprise. And then go to oh, war man. for yeah. the rest of time. How how many years has it been? 18 years in war.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really, if you're a psychopathic mass murderer trying to take over the world, you couldn't have asked for a better event. It could sort of satisfy a couple different uh, angles to it. And that's funny. It's w- what I was talking to Ole about was what they – the operation Gladio uh, philosophy that was happening in Europe, which they, they called the strategy of tension. And you have to think about what kind of psychopath do you have to be to come up with an idea called the strategy of tension, where it's just random shootings all over the place, judges being murdered, reporters being murdered, um, you know, shootings in playgrounds and things like that, that was destabilizing these countries in Europe. And, you know, I would say, well, well, We're living that, aren't we, Ole? You know, I mean, it's been exported to the United States. We just call it, you know, like the war on terror and school shootings and all these things. And he's like, yeah, of course. I mean, this is this is this is what they do. And if you want to destabilize people and keep them off guard, you do a shooting in a Walmart one week, and then you you wait for some bad news about your candidate to come out on the TV, and then you say, all right, it's time for another one. And people think we're crazy when we say this. And we say, you know, there's going to be a big shooting after the Epstein thing. I mean, a lot of people in the alternative media were saying that, and then it happens, and everyone says, well, how did you guys, you guys, psychics? <laughs> No, I mean this is this is if you know the playbook, and let's be honest, their playbook isn't very complicated to understand. If you know the playbook, then you can see what plays are coming ahead of time. The the and Ole is actually taking it to the next level, which is. He is predicting where they're going to happen based on the clues that they're leaving at the current crime scene. So I sent him after the well, I forget if I don't know if it was the El Paso shooting or the 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 one in Ohio, but I sent him, you know, there was a picture that was on the front of Huffington Post that was just a line of shoes. And Ole's done a lot of work on shoes, uh, the shoes as a symbol. And I sent I copied that picture, emailed it to him and sent it to him and said, I got more shoes for you. And, um, it seems that God, his presentation at, at an Arcapulco was so good. It was only an hour and he needs like three, but he did what he could in an hour. And he went into some of the shoe evidence. It's really weird. Once you start to, once you get that in your head, something you would never think about the next time there's a mass shooting, look online. When they show pictures of the, of the event, you will almost always see, Shoes scattered in the streets or you will see people barefoot. It, a very unnatural response. You know, if someone's shooting, you're going to run, right? But you're not going to lose your shoes. You're running so fast or you're not going to throw your shoes off and start running. But you start to notice these patterns. And what his presentation was about was a lot of the embedded and hidden symbolism in some of these pictures. As a example, if you look at the pictures of the double-decker bus at, on the 7-7 bombing, uh, in in London there is the you know the top of it it's a it's a double decker bus but the top of it is is blown into you know considerable pieces but the ad running along the side of the bus says uh, i forget the exact words says outrageous terror coming your way it was like for an ad for some play that was in town but you look at that and and realize that it happened in, right in front of the Tavistock Institute and you start to and for the the you know sort of casual observer, it's just a it's another terror event. But for someone that's looking for specific symbolism in it, you can start to find it any everywhere. And I know people can can do numerology, and I find like numerology gets a little, like sometimes they make things out of nothing. As far as I'm concerned, you know they take it too far, and they're like nine plus eleven equals twenty, and twenty, you know, I mean it just yeah. goes on and on and on. But but the symbol, the pictures, and what you see in there. Is done for a reason. It's got multiple layers of of reason behind it. For one, it's just a picture of a, a tr- of a bus that's been exploded. Another, it's hidden messages. Another, it's clues to tr- to tr- towards what's coming up. Another part of it is, you know, it's like a a nod to the other people involved. You see the one shoe on a guy wandering around with one shoe in his hand and one shoe off, and that's sort of a Freemason, Masonic sign. Two shoes off means something different in the Freemasonic world. You know, so there's all these these little uh, hints. And so the next time there's an event, and I hope there's not one, but we all know there's going to be, take a look at some of the still photography of it and just see if you can't see, you know, see if you can't find something a, a little unusual about it. Obviously, we've, we've gone down this path with where we've seen enough interviews with these people that are right in the middle of the worst moment of their life where their son or daughter or husband or wife has been killed and they're crying, but there's no tears and they're talking about gun control and it just seems a little contrived and they're laughing. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, very squirrely. The coroner for the, you know, SH was, was I mean, he looked he reminded me of the doctor in Cannonball Run that was sitting <laughs> in the back of the and injecting himself. I mean, he was as, it was as preposterous a character as you could come up with. and you watch that and you go, I'm not supposed to be laughing, but like, get a load of this guy, you know, and and you you wonder, is this a litmus test to see how dumbed down we are that like, if we'll fall for this, we'll fall for anything? I sometimes wonder about that. But, uh, you know, for people that are listening to this and they're thinking, you guys sound like a bunch of maniacs talking about this stuff. I understand that the first time you hear this, it sounds crazy. It sounds disrespectful. It sounds a bit unhinged. And we sound like we're making up things that aren't there trying to find answers to events that have no answers. But in actuality, a lot of this stuff is staged. A lot of it is is pre-planned. We're getting into a, a world now where there's a bit of a hybridization of it, where you've got some people are in on it. Some people are not in on it. Sometimes people are getting actually killed at these events. Sometimes they're not. It's very difficult to tell. But I like Ole's. I would t- hate to take back to Ole again, but he's just done such great work on this. And he's talked about his his uh, speculation that it has to do with – he, he – thinks of them as being like a traveling road show like a rock band that's on the road going from NATO base to NATO base flying in and out and being a part of this you know this these productions because you'll see big buses and they've got control they've got people in police uniforms but they're not necessarily you know not sure that they're police and I, I know that when people hear that, they go, well, that sounds crazy. No one would voluntarily sign up for this. And, you know, most of us wouldn't sign up for this if that was if if we were approached. Most of us would not want to be a part of this. But let's just speculate here for a second and just say, let what if what if I got caught with three eight balls of cocaine in my pocket? as I was at a nightclub one night and the police arrest me and they say, you are in serious trouble because we think you're a distributor and you're like, no, 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 I'm just a cokehead. I just, you know, I'm just, it's for my own personal use. And they say, we've got enough to put you away for 15 years unless you're willing to work with us. And you're like anything, I'll do anything. Really? What's that?
1: Ella Jack Ruby.
0: Right. There you go. So are you? You mean anyway, so? We think that we. Oh, I'd never participate in anything like that. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. But there are circumstances. You mentioned kids grabbing. Maybe they're grabbing kids out of foster homes. There's certainly that going on. But maybe they're grabbing people that have found themselves on the wrong side of the law and they are looking for a way out. And all they have to do to play ball is you got to go to this event. You got to pretend like something's. You got to pretend like you just saw something horrible. And we're going to give you a cell phone. You're going to record your image and you're going to record this video and you're going to say, Oh my God, they're shooting, they're shooting. And you're going to do all this. And then you're going to hand us the phone and we'll sign off on your release. And then you're done. And, and look, that's, that happens. You know, these things most definitely happen. The police work with informants. They set people up all the time. So for those that think I would never participate, nobody that's innocent would ever participate in that. Yeah, you would. You you, you could if the search if the situation was was just right, or if you were, let's say that you're a hardcore gun, uh, you know, guns activist that you want guns banned all, and you are willing to do whatever it takes to get guns banned. And they say, well, listen, we're going to create an event that isn't totally organic. But the ends justify the means, you know what I mean? You want to get rid of guns? We've got this event; it's going to be very unfavorable towards guns. Yeah, I'll participate. Boom. Next thing you know, you're in it. You're you're a part of this production, and it goes out to the world as an, as a real event when it is anything but. And if you know, if it becomes, if people start to dig into it a little bit too much and start to pull pull apart at the at the story and notice some um, disjointed aspects of it. Then it just falls off the radar of the mainstream media and they move on to something else. They just don't talk about it. And a prime example of that is the dual shootings, the one in El Paso and the one in Dayton, Ohio, where the El Paso narrative was guy goes into Walmart with an AK-47, shoots everybody up, and he's a big Trump guy and he's a big gun guy, right? And then the Dayton shooter, they started to push that narrative until someone found out that his Facebook account or maybe it was his Twitter, I don't remember exactly, was – showed that he was a Bernie supporter and all of a sudden the Dayton shooting just dropped off the news. It just didn't, it didn't correspond with the narrative that they were trying to sell about that particular shooting. So you stopped hearing about it. And that's, that's the power of the media and the media is a very dangerous organization and they do this all the time. And so, you know, I would say that if you're, if you're, if you're somewhat agnostic or undecided about what is going on with these shootings, are they real or are they not Try watching them with a little bit, just a little detached look, try and find some inconsistencies, try and find out, you know, you'll see things like in the first couple hours, there will be reports that will wind up either online or maybe even on the news of witnesses that say, I was there, I was in that Walmart, and there were three guys dressed in black that were shooting. I don't know what you're talking about with the kid with the gun, but I saw three guys with rifles in all black and then, you know, and then boom, that's gone. You know, that, that falls off of the internet and it it disappears. It's happened. It happened at San Bernardino. It happened at Parkland. It happened at the Walmart in El Paso. So it happens. You know, you get these reports early on. A lot of times, the earliest reports are usually the most accurate, and then the narrative starts to come out, and then the stories start to take shape. So, um, you know, I know it sounds a bit uh, a bit conspiratorial, and 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 that's that's all that's fair. But um, but some of these events are not as what they appear to be, and it's very alarming because they are manipulating us through the media, and and you have to ask like. If they're doing that through the media, what else are they doing?
1: Absolutely. It's like you mentioned the doctor that looks like the cannibal, cannibal run. Doctor, uh, what was his name in the movie? Dr. Nicholas Van Helsing. And the same thing <laughs> happened with the pathologist uh, with Epstein. What's his name? I used to watch his shows on HBO. Uh, what's his name? Michael Batten, Dr. Michael Batten. Mm-hmm. Folks, he was the one in charge of the Martin Luther King autopsy he had a lot to do with the JFK assassination autopsy, too. And then we bring him to Epstein. Also, you know, you're also talking about Gladio. That's something we discuss here all the time. And we did a show with Richard Cottrell uh, many years ago. So anybody that wants to listen to more about Gladio, folks, I really suggest you listen to that interview. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com. And on the Google search, just put Richard Cottrell, and you listen to it. And he talked, obviously, about the gladio that happened after world war ii but if you go back now fast forward to 2015 2016 all the way to now well we have seen this witch hunt against trump all the time oh impeach him and this and that and investigations that's all gladio would you agree
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And and I would say another thing that that plays into this was the smith Munt Modernization Act of 2012, which legalized propaganda within the United States right. against United States citizens, and that is a big thing. Now people were like, Obama was this great president. He did all this stuff. Ob- Look, Obama legalized. He legalized um, the. He gave the media the right. To lie, lie to the people for a certain number of hours. They can only do it like it's only like 40 hours a week or something like that. I mean, I, I mean, it's kind of funny because if you think about it, it's not like the media wasn't lying to us before that. Of course they were. But but they they took the extra step to legalize it. And that particular act, the Smith month act. It wasn't set to expire or anything. It wasn't like it was it, it needed to be renewed or it needed to be changed. If they had done nothing, it would have just stayed in place. But the Modernization Act part of 2012 went in and changed it. So that means that you had to actually put in the effort to intentionally change the law so that propaganda was now legal inside the United States. And then you've got guys like uh, Richard Stengel, who was the editor in chief of time magazine and he's on the council on foreign relations and he's doing a, a, a interview it's a you can find the clip online from the cfr where he's he's interacting he's on a panel on the stage and he's interacting with some questions from the audience and he's talking about he's joking about when he worked at the obama white house that his his title was chief propagandist and he didn't have a problem with that because he thinks in his opinion propaganda is good for countries, they need to use it against their people. And you realize, okay, this is, this guy was in the Obama White House, and he was the editor in chief of Time Magazine, and he's on the Council on Foreign Relations, and he's on the board of director of NewsGuard, which is a news service that is going to red flag websites and give them a red, yellow, or green rating based on whether they're trustworthy or not. So the chief propagandist is in charge, is sitting on a board of a country Company that is going to tell you which news websites are to be trusted or not. I mean, it is it is preposterous that this is happening. But this is happening. This is what's going on right now, and and nobody seems to be all that up upset about it in the day to day world. I, I mean, I guess you know people are going to work and they've got families to raise, and they're going to ball games, and maybe they're working three jobs just to survive. And I get it. I mean, not everybody can be interested in these things, but this is you know, like the walls of this prison, uh, you know, complex are being built around us. And we're like carrying the wheelbarrows for them, you know, we're like helping, helping them build these walls. And it's insane to me. And I, and I acknowledge I'm part of the, I got to be part of the problem because I'm on these social media platforms too. And there's, there's, you know, there's not much good happening there, but, but to, to witness it and to be like, waving our arms and screaming at the top of our, like, this is a problem. This is going to come back to bite us. And everyone's looking at you like you're crazy. It's it's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a frustrating uh, position to be in. But, you know, I, I suppose you've, you've been doing this for, for long enough that you've probably become accustomed to it.
1: I'm not only accustomed to it, but all, my biggest concern is really not the powers that want to be. It's actually the people that are the recipient of this propaganda. And let's just talk about this. Smith-Moth Act uh, for a moment, because I think it's important for people to understand, you know, because they hear it once in a while, but nobody explains it to them. This is not new, folks. This has been around since 1948. It's public law. And the original law was called the U.S. Information and Educational Exchange Act of 1948. So what people tell me, Mel, at least with Obama, we didn't have any scandals. And I say, then, do you have a couple of hours to stop? I don't know of any scandals. Well, he wore a tan suit one day. Fast and furious, <laughs> used to Benghazi, and you name, and even like this, the National Defense Authorization Act, and this is where Smith-Mont Act comes. It's an amendment. This Smith-Mont Act, the original one, was intended for the the uh, uh, Let me just read it. The original legislation authorizes the U.S. Department of State to communicate to audiences outside of the borders of the United States through broadcasting face-to-face contacts, exchanges, and we have a, a whole list of them, the publishing of books, magazines, and other media of communication and engagement. Funding of these activities comes from the legislation passed by the United States Congress. So this was outside of the United States, just like the CIA is supposed to operate outside of the United States, but they operate here within our borders. I'll tell you in a minute how. But now Obama amended this to be placed inside of the National Defense Authorization Act and the Foreign Relations Authorization Act. So instead of having a war of information against people outside of our borders, they do it within ourselves. And if people say, Mel, what did you just say that the CIA operates here? They tell us in the movies. They just need to partner with an FBI agent. Hey, come and shadow me. Almost like if you you and I go and do a ride along with a with a police officer. Well, they bring an FBI agent. And as long as you have a domestic federal agent, the CIA can do whatever they want within the United States borders. Have you heard that?
0: Yeah, of course. And that it's, you know, if their charter was meant to be international, like MI6 is, but there's so much cross-pollination between these FBI agents and CIA agents. And I know that in the movies, they make it out that like the FBI is, in, you know, hey, the FBI's here and they don't want to deal with these local cops and they're always antagonistic towards them. Or the CIA is, is out to, you know, warring with the NSA or the FBI. Look in at the, at the, at the end of the day, they're all working for the same organizations and they are all interested. They're not looking out for our best interest. I know there's good CIA agents and I know there's good FBI agents. I, I know that whole, that whole thing. But if you're, if you're out there enforcing unjust laws, no matter how good of an agent you are, how good, you know, of a person you are, you're on the wrong side if you're doing that, because there's a lot of darkness that's happening. And these, these, these intelligence agencies, are, I mean, look, these intelligence agencies are partnering with Jeffrey Epstein for his sexual blackmail of children. So there you go, right, right there they've crossed the line into, into something that is unforgivable. And they're they're involved. And in this it's not that Jeffrey Epstein invented sexual blackmail. It's obviously been around for a long time, but but the fact that, you know, people think that the FBI is, is, is the good guys and they're looking out for it. The FBI, if they want to get you, they can get you and invent a reason to do so. We've seen it happen. We've, we've, you know, you name it. There's been a, there's been people that have been activists that have been brought down by the FBI under false pretenses. They can plant things on your computer. They can doctor uh, emails and, and make up phone calls that you've had. It, it, If they want to get you, they can get you, you know. So to think of the that these intelligence agencies are somehow um, benevolent, right, that they're out there working on our behalf is crazy. They you can tell that they don't because they have to make television shows fictional television shows to try and show them in a positive light to keep trying to spin that narrative that everything's fine because in reality you're starting to read more and more stories about how you know these agencies are really up to no good and and if somebody thinks that the cia isn't operating within the united states uh, borders they're fooling themselves because of course they are they've been doing it for a long long time and um and, and the Epstein situation is, is, is kind of nice because it woke up uh, a large percentage of the population to the fact that, hey, guess what? The mainstream media, they're probably lying to you. When they say that this guy committed suicide, nobody believes it. I just open my arms and say, welcome to my conspiratorial world. You guys are all welcome to come inside because this is what we've been saying for a long, long time. The news media is not telling you the truth. They are not your friends. They are working with these intelligence agencies. They have a vested interest in keeping you in the dark about a lot of these topics, and they don't have a, a, any sort of moral hangup about lying to you. And now, in, and if they did, it's now cleared through through the smith Munt Modernization Act, where it is now legal for them. So that even if they had a some sort of, you know, philosophical uh, hesitation towards doing it, they're, now it doesn't even matter because it's totally and completely legal for them to just make up stories. And I would say that look from when that act went in and when uh, the rash of school shootings started. They, they line up perfectly. I wonder,
1: because of the whole talk about fake news, and we know that the media lies all the time and look at it. I mean, if they had, and again, I don't mean to get political here, but Trump has done some good things. And imagine if he didn't have that black cloud every single day from all these investigations and Russia, 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 and blah, blah, blah. If he has the executive power to revoke, or, or forget the legal term, uh, when you reverse a a law, why doesn't he just revoke that amendment of the Smithmont Act so that these media outlets cannot lie anymore?
0: It'd be a good start. It'd be a, it'd be a nice indication that he was actually trying to, uh, you know, sh- you know, stop the flow of, of disinformation, especially it was great. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm not on the red team. I'm not on the blue team. I've sort of sit in the middle and, and, and throw rocks right. at both both sides. You know, I'm not, not a fan, but he, He nailed it. Trump was right when he called out CNN and said, you're fake news. And their response to that was such a guilty response. that They just absolutely freaked out and melted down because they knew he was right. And he's, you know, and he's a boastful guy and he's an exaggerator and he's all these things. But he was dead on when he said that, when he said, you are fake news and they are fake news. It is, it is, um. You know, it's it's a dangerous. It's one of the danger, most dangerous tentacles that I go in that I cover in the book when you talk about these these eight uh, tentacles of of the octopus. and And I think that everyone would maybe assume that the military is the most dangerous because it 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 deals directly with death. and Of course, they are dangerous. But boy, the media, the media can can kick off a war. You know, they can start one themselves. and And we've watched this with Venezuela recently, where you you turn on your nightly news and i and i don't watch the news to get information but i do watch the news to see how they're spinning the the stories and with regard to venezuela the question was do we um you know do we overthrow their their dictator today tomorrow or next week those are the only three options you know what i mean there wasn't the fourth option which is i don't know maybe leave venezuela alone that's not that's not one of our options and that's part you know the media can do this. They can. They they create this sort of echo chamber where they they talk about Venezuela or they talk or or isn't, if we use Syria as a as a pretty good example. It's just constantly Syria and Assad and anybody that met with him is an apologist for him. And it just is over and over and over again. And after about nine months of hearing this, people start to get worn down. They either don't want to talk. They don't want to hear about it at all. Or they're thinking. Yeah, man. Why aren't we invading Syria? We got to get them. After all, I mean, it works. The repetition works. If they, they, they talk about war, they talk about these options, and and you and I, you and I are talking on a day when John Bolton was just relieved of his duties, which is fantastic. But yes. you want to talk about, uh, um, whenever, you know, think about this. Whenever you're feeling kind of like a one little person in a world where nothing matters, just remember. One person can make a difference because John Bolton damn near got us all killed and he is just one person who is constantly pushing for war over and over and over and over again. And to remove that guy from, from a position of power uh, is was a tremendous step. I, I, uh, I applaud Trump for doing that. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of it of whether or not he was forced to do it or didn't want to do it or or whether John Bolton's got a you know tricks up his sleeve. But I'm I, mean, pretty, I am
1: certain that he was placed there for a reason. I really don't think that Trump wanted it. If you remember, Trump never wanted to go to Iraq. He's always said that. But John Bolton was, was one of the architects of that. Yeah. And again, people are going to say, "Oh, there we go again with a little talk again that gets you banned on YouTube, Mel." But I think there's a group that really wanted Bolton there because it's spearheading a process that they want. They, I mean, what you just said—that that missile that went to Iran—that could have been the the catapult, the tripwire that could have started World War III again. And thank goodness it didn't happen. I mean, look yeah. at when Trump went to a. Uh, to uh, North Korea, he had no, this guy had no idea. He didn't like the idea. And lately, Trump wanted to meet in secrecy, in secret with the Taliban. So a few members of the Taliban, and this is, allegedly, this is what I hear, that this is what uh, uh, Bolton was totally against that, and Trump was fed up with them. I mean, I wonder what took him so long, he should not have been hired in the first place, but let me just say one thing. I hope the, do- the door doesn't hit you on the way out, Walrus Bolton.
0: No kidding. I mean, what if, if ever there was an unlikable guy? I mean, pretty much unlikable for both sides of the aisle. It, it would be Absolutely. John Bolton, and 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 not for nothing. I mean, it's not as if everyone is just picking on the guy. I mean, he has been involved in some of the worst atrocities. I mean, obviously, he's he's been trying to concoct this Venezuela situation. Uh, he was involved in. He was a member of Project for a New American Century, which is deep, knee deep in 9-11.
1: Yeah, the catalyst. He
0: was involved in um, the Iran-Contra as well, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. He and Elliot Abrams both had worked together on that. So this is a guy that has never, you know, never met a war. He didn't want to start. Uh, of course, he's not going to fight in the war, um, as most of these these guys do, these cowards. Um, but, uh, you know, it's so easy for them to make these decisions to send people off to, to, to war. You know, it people, people, you know, we watch the news and we talk about these, you know, oh, a drone strike on a on a, you know, Afghan party, you know, in, you know, kills three Taliban. And you're like, OK. And then you read about it and you realize that it was a wedding party and it killed 97 other people, too. And you think, you know, this is. This is real life. These are people that are never going to be alive again. These are families that got up that morning and went to this wedding and never came home. And for what? Because John Bolton needs to kickstart a war so that they can redraw the map of the Middle East for his allies and buddies. This is insanity. You know, this is craziness, and we get desensitized to it because we we watch it through the filter of our computer screen or our television, and it's not real enough to us. But if John Bolton was sitting in a meeting and dr- and missiles rained down on him, I think he might have a different opinion of what it's like, what fear is like, and what the thought of death and what terror really is. And John Bolton is a terrorist, that's what he is. We use these terms for them, never our own, but the people in positions of power inside the United States are terrorists. They fit those, that definition to a T by their actions. It's not just some arbitrary thing. It's not just some slang term that you call somebody, but that's what they're doing. And they're doing it in the name of uh, of us. And, and we had such a great opportunity with nine 11 and, you know, what happened on 9-11, and of course it wasn't the way it was portrayed, but, but in the moment when it was happening, you had the countries of the world that believed that we were attacked, right? And we could have leveraged that into something great and something sympathetic for us. But instead, those maniacs took us and made us hyper-aggressive and started this war of terror war on terror, they call it, but war of terror is what it is. And it led to the domino effect of literally millions of people dying. And now the United States is totally uh, disrespected all around the country or all around the world as they should be based on our actions. Obviously not the people in the United States. We, We really have no, no, very little say in this and obviously we're not making the decisions to go into these these countries and invade them but the people in 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 our government are and they have given us such a bad name that now when people are you know americans go backpacking through uh europe they'll say oh yeah i don't put i put a canadian flag on my backpack uh (laughs) instead of an american flag because i don't want people giving me a hard time about it and that's like what a waste. You know, we used to be like Levi's and baseball and apple pie and mom and all these things. And now what are we? We're a bunch of bloodthirsty warhawks looking to, you know, uh, destroy people or bomb the Afghanis back to the Stone Age. I mean, hell, they were just in the bronze age on September 10th, 2001. And now you want to, you want to, I mean, you want to go after these these people had nothing to do with nine 11. This is, this is craziness. And, and I don't know what's more. The poppy fields. The poppy fields. Exactly. We, we start to, we start to realize, Oh, well, it looks like we really know what, you know, they've got a lot of, they don't have a lot. Else, but they've got poppy, and they've got lithium, and they've got you know they've got a strategic location right between you know Asia and Europe and the Middle East, and it's that what uh, new Brzezinski called the uh, you know the in uh, Eurasia, the Eurasia area that was the most strategic part for the the grand chessboard that he was talking about. Well, guess what, Brzezinski. This isn't a game. These are real people that are dying. You know, these decisions are are leading to the deaths of all these people that we'll never know. And so it becomes a bit detached. It's kind of hard to feel the, you know, r- a true sense of connection to these people that you wouldn't know. But just just picture what would happen if your kids went to school in a you know, when a drone strike hit, hit their school. What would you, how would you feel? You would be enraged. Of course you would, now you would have a legitimate reason to be upset at the people that did this to you. So I find that the American foreign policy is just empire building. It's disrespectful to the rest of the world. Um, and empires never last. And the problem that we see is that, um, they follow a sort of unique pattern and america is on the american empire is in this pattern in this late stages of the same way that the roman empire went down and we're all you know they were the last people to see it coming you know they didn't think it was going to ever end and then it ended and then they it caught them off guard and i feel like in the united states right now we are an empire that is coming to the end and we're making crazy decisions we're acting irrationally we're terrified of the rise of china and there's the the greek um uh, philosophy of the the Sidocles trap which is the rise of a new superpower always challenges the existing superpower. And um, they went back and looked at 16 different empires that had had this situation. And 12 of the 16 times, it led to a war between the current superpower and the rising superpower. In this case, it would be United States as the current superpower and China as the rising force that they feel threatened and they launch a preemptive attack. And you hope that doesn't happen. But when you see guys like Mike Pompeo John Bolton and Donald Trump and these, you know, Warhawks mentalities, it's, you've got to consider that this is a possibility. It's not something that we should be looking forward to, but unfortunately the people that are guiding our policies are, are some of the most unhinged people around. And it's a, it's a, it's a shame because we deserve better than this, but, um, But this is this is what you get when you have years and years of uh, allowing uh, allowing people that are, you know, only seeking power to be put in positions of power and have unchecked amounts of financial resources and military resources. Something happens to them. They just get they get megalomaniacal and they want to take take over the whole world. And unfortunately, um, to accomplish this, you're going to find that there's going to be a lot of people that have to die on both sides. And that is just something that I I dread. I was recently in Morocco and what you were saying about the Roman Empire. And uh,
1: I drove six hours inside of the country. And this is an ordeal that I went through and I almost have to escape the country. And I'll, I'll tell... Maybe I'll say something in the future. I haven't said anything because it might put somebody in danger, but I had an ordeal that happened in Morocco, and I was looking at the the Roman monuments they had. there. incredible. And I was thinking how far away this is from Rome and the rest of it, and these people were everywhere and how it collapsed, and I was thinking of the United States and how we are at $22 trillion right now, and until recently, oh, let's open the borders and all that, and we know how Rome fell. But this is all planned, in my opinion. Uh, I keep thinking of certain things, and I don't want to deviate from each topic, but you mentioned uh, how, you know, there's a wedding, and boom, they get a drone strike. Remember Obama? Everybody thinks that he was a peace president who got, by the way, unfairly. He got the, the Nobel Peace Prize. Without yeah. even being elected. This is before. he has to be nominated. Why? Why did he do even being elected that he got that? I mean, at least Trump is trying by going to a meeting with the North Korean, which uh, I'm not a fan of his, but I would rather be in peace than, you know, exchanging missiles all the time. But Obama and the double tapping with the drones, they would drone a group of people, boom, and then the emergency services would come in who are innocent people. And they would do it again, double tapping. And that happened so many times. And with ISIS, everybody thinks ISIS is a true, another Al-Qaeda, and that's another program all on its own. But with Obama, the planes were shooting bombs in the middle of the desert because this is all the military industrial complex. They just wanted to continue the war and using our money to just drop bombs everywhere. But Trump realized what's going on here and he put a stop to it. So obviously he has an no influence, he has to keep some balance because if he had to go his way 100%, he would get a JFK haircut if you know what I mean.
0: For sure, and they don't call him Obama for nothing. You know, Obama <laughs> right. was was uh, that's a that's a that's a reprehensible way of conducting foreign policy to be, you know, sh- targeting people through drone strikes and then hitting the first responders when they show up. I mean that 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 sounds like something John Brennan would have authorized which he probably did and um because that is that's a way to instill terror in people uh, on on a level that you know you you just never really psychologically recover from from something like that but and that's happening with red white and blue paint all over those bombs you know just welcome you know from america with love and like i mean mel you and i don't think like that those aren't Those people don't represent us. Those people don't represent the majority of Americans. A lot of Americans see this sort of, um, this war hawk, uh, nature of our uh, American foreign policy and they want nothing to do with it because we, we don't behave like that. Now the rest of the world just says America launched these attacks on us and therefore we're lumped into it. But, um, I mean, I think it's important to make a distinction that, that, uh, to those that are, you know, outside of the United States, just for the record, not all of us are on board with this. A lot of us see this as a gigantic problem and, uh, and much, much in the same way that, that when you talk about Israel and Palest and the Palestinians, you will find some people that are some Israelis that say what we are doing to the Palestinians, we are not in favor of, you know, that's our government doing that. And yes, there's a lot of people that are, that, that that agree with that, but not all of us, not all of us want that. Not all of us think that we should be conducting our business that way. And and, and that's how I feel in America. I, I remember it takes me back to that, um, George HW Bush quote when he said, well, I'm not an apologize for America type of guy under any circumstances. And that's a pretty awful way to be because sometimes you need to sometimes you need to apologize. Uh, I mean, George H.W. Bush needed to apologize for quite a lot of things, which he never did. But that just goes to show you sort of the psychotic nature of the the people that are in power. And, 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 you know, people that are casual observers of politics, they say things like, why are these politicians so screwed up? Why do they keep getting caught cheating on their wives? Or why do they do, why are they, you know, getting drunk and getting, you know, a DUI here. Why are they caught stealing money from, you know, they're out of their campaign. You realize, you know, they think, well, can't, can't we do better than this? Can't we find people that are more qualified and not, uh, you know, compulsive liars or degenerate alcoholics or pedophiles or whatever to, to fill these positions of power. And then you realize once you dig into it, that that is what they are looking for. They, the people that are above the politicians are actively looking for not the right candidate that you and I would think, not a someone that's you know upstanding citizen that wants the best for everyone. No, they don't want that. They want the person that is closeted homosexual or a cheating on their wife or a pedophile or a degenerate gambler or something like that where they can control them right. and put them in power, and then because see, if you're a pedophile president and somebody has the goods on you, then essentially they become president, right? Because they can control you. And that's something that that goes on forever. You never get out of that. You could be cheating on your wife and they have that info on you. And then at some point they break that out and you go, well, fine, I got a divorce or you could be a closeted homosexual and someone outs you and you say, fine, I'm gay. And that's not that big of a deal. And people are like, whatever that's, but if you're a pedophile, there's no statute of limitations on people hating your guts when that comes out. You know, Dennis Hastert is a prime example of yeah. something like that. If you don't think that that happens, it happens. Jeffrey Epstein's situation is exposing parts of this. You remember the um, uh, Craig Spence uh, callboy ring that they were running yeah. in Washington in the 80s? That made the front page of the Washington Post or Washington, I'm, I'm not sure which one, but it said, you know, VIPs uh, or VP ensnared and. Uh, White House callboy ring. Well, this is how it's done. You know, people, people in positions of power have been getting blackmailed for a very, very long time. And it's, it's interesting now that with the Epstein case coming out, people are starting to say in, you know, Ooh, he's tied to a lot of very powerful people. What a coincidence. Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence that the royal family is involved. They've been involved in this sort of stuff for a long, long time. This is not an, and it's not a coincidence. The CIA knew about it, or that the Mossad was involved, and all these. This is how politics works. And so, for those people that are scratching their heads, going, "Why can't we get good politicians?" The answer is that they don't want good politicians. Good politicians can't be controlled. Bad politicians can be controlled and become puppets and they do exactly what you want them to do. And it's a lot cheaper than running for president yourself.
1: So that you know, folks, that I'm apolitical and I like I go for the candidate. I really, really like Tulsi Gabbard. I, I do re- too. You know, a lot of my friends like her too, just like you. I mean, right or left or or blue or red, we all like her. And look what's happening to her. To me, I told somebody, she reminds me of the Ron Paul of the the Democratic Democrat Party. And honestly, when you look at what's her name uh, that was the ambassador of the UN, uh, the former... Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Why don't we replace Nikki Haley with Tulsi Gabbard? And even, I know she's not a general, but I bet you she could give President Trump good advice as a national security advice but that's for another topic we have to take a one only break I want to say a few things because we're going to get deeper and folks I hate to do this sometimes you say well Mel, you leave the good stuff for the second part well it's just because I've been censored so much lately that I cannot talk about certain things but let me just say people say oh power attracts I mean uh, uh, power corrupts I think power attracts the corruptible that's one thing. But also, I want to discuss who's really behind the technology that we have in China, because ever since, what's his name, uh, the, Nixon's uh, former national security advisor, who's still alive. What's his name? Kissinger. Kissinger, right. Kissinger, Nixon, they made China the beta test of what they want to see all over the world. So this Sesame Social Score is making its way here. The question is, do you really think China has the technological prowess to come up with that? Well, maybe we need to look at all the H-1B visas of all the people that come here and go to MIT, go to, you know, Stanford and so on and stay in Silicon Valley for a while. And they export that knowledge back to China and to India. But also, I want to talk about how, what you just said, I don't think I'll be able to go to China anymore. I mean, when they look at my... My interviews about Falun Gong and the organ harvesting and Sesame Credit Score are probably going to be banned there, and you probably too. I want to dissect more of Jeffrey Epstein. A lot of people looking at him as this billionaire. Probably not. I don't think so. I think this was nothing but a an extortion factory. Look at Maxwell. Look at his three daughters. When we talk about this and more of about your book, how come people buy your book, The Octopus of Global Control?
0: If you like the digital version, the ebook book um, or a PDF, you can come to my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com and buy it there. If you like the paperback, you can find that on Amazon and also on barnesandnoble.com.
1: Excellent, folks. And by the way, Epstein,
0: the day after he was
1: supposedly attacked in uh, jail, I think it was in Colorado when this happened, if I'm not mistaken. The day after an airplane, Lolita Express, his DC-10, I think it was, made it all the way to Antarctica. What was that plane doing there? We'll talk about this when we come back. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with Charlie Robinson. Much more when we come back. This is Fabrigas and you're listening to Veritas. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, click on like, subscribe, and share. Thank you.